Winds strong enough to topple towers. Beaks sharp enough to impale fighter jets. Terror is about to hatch in Rodan. Oh no, I might have to do a new <laughs> intro for the music. Oh man. I don't know what to do. And oh. Uh, well, Rod, Rod, is it Rodan or is it Rodan? That is the question of the hour, Alex. Radon, according to Japan. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, it makes sense because, uh, you know, that radon, it comes from the name, isn't it? What's what's the, the monster, the uh, it, dinosaur name? Pteranodon. Pteranodon, yeah. right? And so they took part of that name. That's that's a fact I read about it. Yes. Uh, but then they switched it because it was too much like, well, radon. radon. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard it pronounced Rodan and Rodan. In the American dub, it is Rodan. No. But I think in King of the Monsters, <laughs> it's Rodan. It is. Right? It's Rodan. And that's the way uh, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Rodan sounds more American. It's like Rodan. Well, but yeah, Rodan, as you say. <laughs> yeah, this is the Monsters vs. Men podcast. Uh, we are the bargain basement of the Kaiju podcasting airwaves, and we're still trying to stay alive. I'm Eric. And I'm Alex. And we didn't forget to introduce ourselves this week. We did not. <laughs> uh, and that's because we are starting a brand new series and not finishing one, I think, Alex. And this this week, we are starting our Toho series. And this is the first of four. Uh, what what are we calling this mini-series? What, what should we be calling it? I saw, <clears throat> I think our executive producer, uh, Michael Herndon, I think he said G-adjacent, I think is the... <laughs> Is what mm. he had put beside it. Now, I don't know how we should put it, but G adjacent as in like uh, monsters that were featured in the main Godzilla series that we did. Yeah, I think that like kind of works all monster well. monsters. Yeah, you know? <laughs> the, the cameo movies. Like. <laughs> yes, yes. I think they're, they're just kind of like the staples. You know, like these are our uh, Toho basics, you know, our, our Toho staples um, that I think everybody – has heard of and have been exposed mm, to. Yeah. So this week we're doing Rod- Rodan and next week we're doing Varen and then we're doing Mothra and then we're doing Atragon so, and then we'll have a recap episode. You know, like so. in cooking, this will probably be considered the Toho salt and pepper. You know, it's that little <laughs> something go, extra yeah. for Toho. <laughs> yeah, this is, well, this this is our, our basics. And, and from there, we're going to allow kind of some audience participation here to decide our next Toho miniseries. We've created about four or five of these miniseries that we could do, but we will get you all on Twitter and on Patreon to vote for uh, that topic, our next miniseries. Yeah. Mm, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also excited about our guest that we have coming on here in just a little bit. That is Raphael Coronelli, who is an author, kaiju author, traveler, adventurer, extraordinaire. I am excited to have him on. I've started reading one of his novels, and it's really good, Alex. Oh, is it? What's it called? Uh, Daikaiju Yuki. Um, And we'll get more into it. He has a new book coming out that we're going to talk about that actually comes out today, the day that this podcast is released. That's a little bit different for him, but we'll get into that here in our interview. And we'll talk a little bit about Daikaiju Yuki as well. Now, when you say today, is that for our general audience or is that for our patrons? No, that's for our general audience. Mm. That's for our general audience. So a week from today for our Patreon audience. subscribers that are five dollars or more a month our bargain so. basements <laughs> our bargain basement club members <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right well let's jump into it alex without further ado let's get into rodan all right so between 1954's godzilla and 1956's rodan Ishiro Honda directed six other films but only one of those half human featured another giant monster all the major players, though, are back that we have grown to love here in Rodan. And that's beyond Ichiro Honda, Alex. Mm. We have a score by Akira Ifukube, effects by Subaraya, and the assistant director of this film, Alex, 
Jun Fukuda. <laughs> and of course, there's familiar faces as well. Kinji Sahara, Akihiko Hirata, and Yoshibumi Tajima. But here's my question for you, Alex. If Godzilla 1954 somehow transcended the giant monster genre, do you think Rodan epitomizes the genre? I think you could say that. I, I think Rodan really feels, out of all the other movies we've seen, I think Rodan feels like the most uh, of a spiritual sequel to the original Gojira. And I, you could probably chalk that up to two things, primarily. Uh the mystery surrounding the monster, which frankly, mm-hmm. in Rodan, I think the mystery surrounding the monster is more interesting than the mystery surrounding Godzilla. Yeah. And, you know, we get those little awesome, cool uh, insect monsters that just turn Mega out to be... Nuance. Yeah, the, the Meg Nuance. <laughs> uh, and that Rodan just ter- turns out to... It's just food for him. But I think yeah. the part of the film <laughs> that is excellent and the other reminder of Gojira is that finale which Mm -hmm. is really in lockstep with that original Godzilla film. And it's genuinely sad moment that is not dissimilar from that haunting feeling we got from Godzilla. I I think that those moments in particular really sync those two movies up really well together, better than I think most of the movies we've seen so far. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, And so to me, I think Rodan epitomizes kind of this monster giant monster movie genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not trying to put Godzilla 54 on a pedestal too much. I think I've been guilty of that in the past, but I do believe it stands apart um, in some way in that it becomes something maybe it didn't even intend to be. But here with Rodan on, on the other hand, I think we actually have something that becomes exactly what it wants to be. And that's an achievement in its own right. So, as we explore these Toho films, Alex, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more interested in the genre of these giant monster movies mm. and, and how they play into and sometimes break these genre tropes. So these films, they're, they're like sci-fi films, they're fantasy films, they're disaster movies all rolled up into one. And, and some of what has kind of inspired my thinking in this is the Susan Sontag essays that I've mentioned before, oh, yeah. Imagination of Disaster and Notes on Camp. Both are fantastic. But as I was thinking about Rodan specifically, watching the Japanese and then the English dub just today, I started to think about well, what are the characteristics that make up kind of some typical like beats some typical tropes of the plots of these giant monster movies. And I think you can kind of break them into five scales or five big moments, right? Maybe this is like the cycle of the giant monster movie. The first thing that you have is mystery and suspicion. And as you said, I think that is done so well in this movie. You've got the water rising in the mines. Uh, You've got the death of that one individual, which is creepy, you know, face down in that water with unknown circumstances. (laughs) And, you know, and it it causes, uh, you know, like the characters try to think of a logical but human solution to this problem, right? Right. That's the first step, mystery and suspicion. That's quickly followed, though, by panic and confusion. And this is where, you know, what was initially thought to be more of a human logical solution suddenly appears to be less human. And the characters try to piece together a cause. Um, and then you get an initial, in this in this section, you get the initial appearance of a monster and the pursuant chaos, right? Yeah. Step three is the acknowledgement and awareness. Here are the characters, they recognize the threat is at hand and they accept the reality of their situation. Um, there's no real solution attempted at this point. Because usually the threat is temporarily neutralized or it's small scale enough that no one has that freak out moment. Mm. But then what's interesting about Rodan is it kind of repeats those first three steps because you've got first the Mega Nulon and then you have Rodan. Uh, But then you get to stage four, which is crisis and solution. Or what's interesting is it can be solution and crisis. Right. Because in here, in this film, the attack on Rodan leads to Rodan's attack on Fukuoka um, mm. or Fukuoka, <laughs> um, the city, which, which is really interesting. And then finally, at the end of the film, you've got the creativity and reflection where the humans usually come up with some sort of creative solution um, to 
for the monster to meet its end. And then you've got that introspective moment, which we definitely see in that final scene. Mm. So those are my five stages. I think it'll be interesting as we go through these Toho movies to see which movies play into those five and which movies part away from them. There's definitely, of course, once we have in like the Godzilla series, when you have monster versus monster battle, obviously those stages become mixed up (laughs) and the solution usually becomes Godzilla (laughs) defeating the enemy. (laughs) It does. Uh, I really like those points. And and now I guess uh, step D, I guess crisis and solution. Is that when, Eric, did you know there was two Rodans in this movie before you watched it? I did. You did? Yeah. Oh. No, I didn't. But I did not before I watched it. No. <laughs> uh, I had no idea. Really? <laughs> but <laughs> no. Uh-uh. But now it's interesting. I, I was surprised, but it was a pleasant surprise. I thought that was a cool little twist. I, I really like that that surprise of Rodan. Like I had almost forgotten that there was a second Rodan in this movie. Which is actually understandably forgettable, kind of, because that second Rodan is in this movie for so little, and actually mm-hmm. does so little that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be too hard on myself. But I really like how you break up these aspects of these movies. Uh, and this one, as you said, really excels early on uh, with that mystery and all that built that it builds up. I, I would say mm-hmm. that the film excels for about, I was originally going to say four fifths, but maybe even 11 twelfths or so. <laughs> like this, this movie is for the most part firing on all cylinders. Like the effects are excellent. And they're even, I think, a step above a lot of what we see later in the Showa era from Godzilla because they're so mm-hmm. intricate and detailed. And it feels like maybe later in the Showa era, they just wanted to show off buildings being knocked over, but they're not necessarily elaborate or super detailed or, you know, that type of thing. So a lot of the effects and stuff like that, that we get is just, just excellent. I could have watched these cities get destroyed all day. (laughs) Uh, No, that was a, it was a fantastic moment, right? Like, uh, and so that leads me though, to my one complaint that I have. And my complaint is that right after we have that crisis and solution part or the solution and crisis in Rodan and we have that city destruction piece, mm-hmm. we then decide to basically attack a volcano um, <laughs> in order to get it to erupt. And again, I, that, like that's our creative solution. That's fine. We see it kind of, we see something similar in Godzilla raids again, right? Mm. <laughs> Where they attack the mountain to, to cause a avalanche, yes. right? But here we're causing an eruption. So the solution's fine. That's interesting enough. But it's the execution of that solution where we get about five minutes of just missiles being launched. And just when you think they're done, they're like, all right, should we attack the other side? Yes. <laughs> and we get the whole thing over again. Right? <laughs> and, and this and, unlike- and Rodan's not in the scene. You know, like right. we're just seeing missiles being launched and some fireworks happening. Well, and it's just like, let's let's get to it here. And you, you see know? his head poke out every now and then he goes back. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> that's it until the final moments, which are great, which which I'll talk about uh, here in just a second. Yeah. But as, as, you're, as you said, I think these are a step above uh, – the Showa era, some of the Showa era films that we see later on. Um, and by the way, the, the English cut is 10 minutes shorter overall, um, but it doesn't cut much of the, the volcano attack scene, which is the part that I would have cut back quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it cuts some of the stuff in the middle huh. um, with the loss of memory, you know, yeah. part, which I thought was intriguing and interesting, but I understand why they did it. And it also adds in a voiceover, um, which I think is actually really interesting and well-written, oh. but I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute as well. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you about the rockets, uh, hitting the mountain. Like, you know, I like to use a lot of hyperbole when something goes way too long in our episodes, <laughs> but your five minute description, it, you may have underestimated <laughs> Like, it goes yeah. on for a very long time. And the worst part about it, not just that it's just people firing missiles into effect, or essentially firing fireworks into dirt uh, for five mm-hmm. minutes, is that it's the same sound effect over and over. There's yeah. two variations yeah. of the same sound effect. And it goes on for, I remember when I first watched this last year, it goes on 
Like there, you probably hear that same sound effect literally 50, 60 times. <laughs> That's no exaggeration. <laughs> I see. I don't notice the sound. You always notice these sound effects that just drive you crazy. I, I do, this I, is something that annoys you. I don't you. appreciate. Yeah, that's I, I, true. I really don't appreciate reused uh, sound effects, especially to this degree. Like this and Gabra are the two that drive me Gabra's completely roar nuts. all over again. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's just the yeah the Gabra roar all over again. But you know, overall though, you know, I keep <laughs> harping on this. It, that is a pretty minor complaint in the overall film. Like, yeah, my only other complaint really is how they handled the couple that dies. You know, they die mysteriously in quotes, but yeah. we, we see them die, and it's never really clear. We we know why a giant bird flew over, and like the pressure probably killed them, but it's done mm-hmm. in such a lame way that. I really disliked that part because uh, especially since later on, we see Rodan fly over some of the military and some of our other protagonists and it doesn't kill him. Yeah. So it was clearly for just this one moment. Uh, it would have been more effective if they had gotten picked up or, you know, something like that and carried off and eaten. But this, that would've been cool. but again, this is a relatively small moment because we get a lot of other moments where Rodan really gets to show his like tenacity and ruthlessness as a monster. Like, yeah. I mean, there's this moment where he destroys this plane in the blink of an eye. And then yes. it cuts to this other scene where all we're left with is this helmet on a table. that's just covered in blood. And this is, it's, an it's a surprisingly moment. bloody movie. You know, it's a surprisingly <laughs> bloody movie, yes. and it really is more horror-like than most of the monster movies we've watched recently, right? Yes. Like, yeah, for <laughs> we've sure. been watching Gamera, and you know, we came <laughs> off of uh, Late Showa Godzilla. You know, this is this is definitely leans into that horror element a lot more. Um, but I wanted to mention a few scenes here before we jump into uh, our interview. First. The Rodan's reveal scene in the cave is awesome. Uh, yes. You know, it's in Karamura's <laughs> flashback. Baby Rodan. Kube's score. <laughs> yes, so cute. Kube's score <laughs> heightens the mood. And then, you know, Rodan cracks through that giant egg. We get that zoom into Karamura's face. That is just perfect for that situation. Mm-hmm. And it completely sells the terror. And you understand, like, oh, he's suffering from PTSD after this. Right. Like, right. This horrifies him, you know. Um, it's a great scene. Of course, that's the scene where we see uh, the Mega Nulon aren't the monster. They're the food for the monster. Right. Which is awesome. It is awesome. Uh, and then the dogfight scene is clearly an inspiration for several other movies that we've seen in, in this show, Alex. Oh, yes. Um, including Godzilla King of the Monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, the final moments, which which I talked about. That follows the pattern I was mentioning of that that, that moment of introspection. Um, the English dub, it, as I said, it has this really interesting and well-written voiceover. Normally, I'm not a fan of voiceovers. I liked it, but it's not even needed because you can still, in the Japanese version without the voiceover, you can still feel the melancholy of the scene and also the general feel, fear of what might be coming next. Right. So it's really interesting. I, I like how it ends and you get that. You see the characters, but you see the flames kind of uh, glaring off of them. It's really cool and really well mm-hmm. done. Yeah, it's awesome. And the fact that the the one Rodan is still like barely moving, even as the final oh, like the, the yeah. final thing comes up, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> really, for sure. But hey, before we uh, invite Raphael on, I do want to say Join us for MVM Plus today. We're going to talk about uh, some of the things that we're looking forward to most in the Toho series. And we're going to catch up a little bit on what we've been into this week. You can join us over there and listen to all of our MVM Plus episodes for just $2 a month at patreon.com slash Pod. Let's go ahead and welcome in Raphael. All right. All right. So I know I've been talking about having... Uh, less guest 
on the on the show moving forward. But when mm-hmm. I had the opportunity, Alex, to invite Raphael Coronelli onto the show, I couldn't help but seize the opportunity. Raphael, he's an adventurer, travel writer, and most important to this podcast, he's a kaiju novelist. Raphael, he first came onto my radar just recently through his writing on the Godzilla Unmade series put on by the Kaijusaurus podcast, in which his twist on Hedera in his Godzilla versus Hedera 2 script genuinely spooked me. Uh, so welcome to the show, Raphael. Is there anything you would like to add to introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I think you pretty much covered it, but uh, I'm just, I'm excited to be on. I'm excited to talk about Rodan because it's one of my favorite flicks. Mm, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we both seem to enjoy it. And, and based off my conversations with you, I know it's one of your favorites as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, uh, we are going to talk about Rodan here in just a few minutes, but first I want to ask you a little bit about your work. Um, before Godzilla Unmade, I was honestly unfamiliar with you for the most part, but I know you have a successful kaiju novel series, Daikaiju Yuki, which I just recently started. Uh, so this question is kind of a two-parter. How the heck did you get started writing novels about kaiju? And did I get started in the right place with Daikaiju Yuki? Yeah, well, I mean, Daikaiju Yuki is the first one I wrote. So if you started there, then that's that's the place to start. Um, I don't know. It was just something I started doing a few years ago, maybe about five years ago for like my own personal amusement. I, you know, I wanted to tell a story. I love kaiju movies. And uh, that combination of interests, it's like the only logical conclusion was to tell a story about kaiju. And that's really what it ended up being. And, um, you know, I came out with the book in 2017. And since then, uh, some people have latched onto it and they really like it. So it's kind of ballooned into a whole series. Um, uh, this past year, I came out with a spinoff novella called uh, Pharaoh of Eels. And I made a, uh, an audio version of it with Stephen Sloss. And uh, shortly after we made that, we started uh, working on another project together called Godzilla Unmade, which I know you guys are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really kind of what got the ball rolling with the two of us collaborating for that project. That's nice. awesome. Uh, now, Eric, Eric, you, you said something that I, I can't just let it go. Uh, mm-hmm. Godzilla versus Hedera 2 or Hedora 2. I want to I know more about this. Like, what was your inspiration for the script? And, you know, was Godzilla always going to fly again? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, so Stephen and I, you know, kind of, uh, it was really Stephen who conceived of the whole Godzilla unmade thing. Like, he, he, talk to me when we were, you know, almost done with our audiobook we were making um, about doing a full cast audio drama of uh, three unmade Godzilla movies. And, um, you know, it was It sounded very ambitious, but immediately I kind of jumped at the idea of doing a sequel to Hedera because um, I, I've just always been interested in Yoshimitsu Bano as a filmmaker. I think he's really interesting. And I actually saw him in person at G-Fest years ago. This was like in 2005. And he was doing a presentation on his uh, then in development movie called Godzilla 3D to the Max. And that was like the latest um, version of a rematch between Godzilla and Hedera. And I just, I've always been kind of been fascinated by this idea that he's, he had been trying to make a sequel to his Godzilla movie for like 30 years. Right. And it was always some, some version of Godzilla and Hedera fighting again. And so that's always kind of stuck in my brain. Cause I think he, he is a really interesting filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, when I, when we, when this project materialized, I was like, well, I have to kind of try to tap into that because that's just something I've been thinking about for a long time. And, uh, you know, another movie that he wrote, he wrote the screenplay for is Prophecies of Nostradamus. And I'm a big fan of that movie. It's not the easiest movie to see, um, but but if you can track it down, it's well worth seeing. And uh, I was heavily influenced by his tone for that. I was like, well, if, you know, if I'm going to write something um, that's based on Bono, I should try to look at all of his stuff and try to, you know, make it make it fit with his oeuvre 
Right. And uh, yeah, and that's really what it was. You know, that that was the inspiration. As for Godzilla flying, I mean, that's just something that happens in in the Bono Godzilla universe. <laughs> so you gotta, you, you know, gotta. you gotta do, you gotta do it. <laughs> it would have been a missed opportunity if you had. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's interesting about the the prophecies of Nostradamus, though. If we can track that down, we may have to do that with one of our Toho miniseries here, Alex. That sounds interesting for sure. Absolutely. I didn't know that it was written by Bono, and yeah, I think. Yeah. You're Right. I think Bono is an incredibly talented filmmaker, and it's a shame that he didn't get to direct another Godzilla film. I agree, yeah. but I, I, we, we did our best to kind of, uh, you know, show you maybe what it would sound like, at least, yes. if, if he had done that. No, it was awesome. Uh, so beyond the audio dramas and the novels, I know you also do a bit of travel writing, as demonstrated in your upcoming release that's actually b- being released on the day, the day that this is available for the public, October 12th. Um, and it's called How to Have an Adventure in Northern Japan. So here's my question for you. How has your travel abroad, specifically in Japan, influenced your writing on kaiju and conversely, how has your interest in kaiju affected your travel abroad in Japan? Well, it's, I, I mean, the connection is, is uh, you know, I think pretty clear because we're all fans of Japanese cinema. In Japanese cinema, if you're a fan of it, you're probably also at least kind of tangentially interested in Japanese culture and the place itself because that's where it all comes from. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I had been to Japan before. Uh, what, you know, and that did influence, you know, some of my novels and stuff like that. But, but this uh, travel book, I think, um, does have appeal for kaiju fans and people listening to this podcast because uh, I went to a bunch of locations from kaiju movies. I went to uh, <laughs> places that were uh, in uh, Gamera 2, uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidra, King Kong Escapes, um, places that, uh, you know, you don't maybe immediately think to go. But um, the thing is, like, these movies were made all over uh, all over the world, really. But but uh, specifically, Japan has tons of locations from kaiju movies, and they really proliferate the country. And um, if you go there and you're a fan of these movies, you're going to learn a lot, and you're going to really feel like you're um, you know you have a connection to the place that you're in more so than you know if if you hadn't seen the movies before. But I mean, I think it's. I think this book, um, like most of it is kind of about immersion in the culture and a little bit about the history of the region and how to plan a trip. But um, it does have a lot of information, I think, for people who are just interested in in these movies that we talk about. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Did you visit the place where they fired an estimated one to 200 rockets at a volcano to kill Rodan? <laughs> I didn't. No, that, you know what? I I had planned to do a trip to Kyushu uh, this year, but a, a COVID happened, so obviously I couldn't do that. But I haven't uh, heard about uh, that. What's that? Go into that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of these things, you know. It's, it's just yeah. Uh, so as, as I said, I, I've actually started into Daikaiju Yuki, and I'm loving it. So I want to give you praise for a second. And then oh, I'm cool. going to read a quick passage and then I'm going to ask you a follow-up then that connects to your new book. All right. Sure. So the praise I want to give you is I really like the main protagonist, Yuki's character. She reminds me of Akane from Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, except she's more well-rounded actually. Like I think she's a better character than Akane. So that's my praise. She's awesome. In the first couple of chapters, I like how you uh, actually take the time to develop her as a character. Um, you you make the, the audience be a little bit patient for the action. But then when the action comes in, you start to realize what a kaiju novel actually brings to the table. Because kaiju is such a, a visual you know medium, I think. And, and we want to be able to see the monsters. But with a novel we can actually become immersed with the monsters, which is exactly the situation that Yuki finds herself in, in this passage that I'm about to read. So here's my favorite passage from uh, Daikaiju Yuki. Uh, and I, I really like the narration here. So here's, here's what it says. And Alex, I think you'll like this as well. Yuki has kind of mysteriously become this Kaiju figure. Okay. Eric, I can tell you're an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Before her was a miniature version of the Golden Temple Pagoda, probably about a meter tall, no, closer to 150 centimeters, as it almost exactly matched her eye level. 
Around it was an exact scale replica of the Blooming Temple Gardens, the Red Wooden Gate, and beyond, the entire rest of the city. It had to have been created in painstaking detail, with every plant rendered in miniature form, every roof shingle in place, every structure a tiny lifelike work of art. The wind gently rustled through the near-microscopic leaves on the trees as the sun shone down on the tops of the toy buildings at an angle suggesting that it was early morning in whatever this place was. And I love that passage. It's because, really good. That's really yeah, good. <laughs> I love that passage because it feels like us watching a kaiju movie and admiring the effects. But it here does. we have Yuki as a monster <laughs> thinking Absolutely. its effects. And it's, it's awesome. What I love is the third person narration, the limited third person narration. You can go into such uh, detailed description of the settings that it really works. So here's my follow up question. In your latest uh, book, your, your, your travel memoir adventure book, do you have a similar style or is it a different style since it's more of a personal journey? Well, it's, it is told in first person. It's not told in third person, but um, it, I did try to just, you know, write it the way I normally write a story and make it exciting and engaging. Um, even though I, you know, it's things that actually happen in real life. It's not just right. things that I, that I made up. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, the, the um, I, I, I'm really interested in, in how people are going to react to this new book because it's not, really it's not a novel it's not uh you know a, a fictional story which is pretty much everything that i've written up to this point um so i'm i'm very interested in uh in how fans of uh the, the genre who i've you know i've previously written for you know i've written with them in mind mm -hmm. and also people who maybe just want uh, a travel guide who's kind of stumble across it by accident i'm i'm interested in how both of those groups react to this cuz it hmm. kind of could conceivably reach both of them. Uh, but I'm not really sure yet because uh, it's not, we're recording this in the past. If you're listening to this, then it's already out, but <laughs> it hasn't come out yet. Yeah, um, I, I would imagine, you know, your writing style really enhances your journey through Japan because you're really going to be taking it all in so that you yeah. can write like that. And I, it seems like the optimal way to enjoy Japan in a way. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I just try to, you know, I, I try to describe it in a way that you can sense it with all of your senses and, um, you know, a way that uh, is engaging. I, I'm a big fan of uh, dialogue sequences and, and just, you know, interactions between people. And I think uh, remembering some pretty memorable interactions that I had uh, when I was there, um, that it's, uh, it, I, I think those are going to be parts of the book that people are going to, are going to, um, respond to. Yeah. I, I'm uh, excited to check it out. But Alex, Alex, I have an idea for a hypothetical series where we take, uh, Raphael's book, how to have an adventure in Northern Japan. And we go travel to all these Godzilla locations <laughs> in, in, in a future yeah. where we don't have, uh, where we have all the time in the world and we don't yeah. have our kids anymore. That's what we'll do that series, Alex. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, you know, the, the thing is, it's like we can't actually travel right now. And so it's yeah. been an escape for me writing it. It's been a kind of escapism. And I hope that people who read the book can have a sense of escapism by um, being able to, just in the context of the book, travel to a place that they're not actually able to go to. Uh, but in the process of reading it, I think that it could be useful to, um, to actually plan your own trip that you're going to do in the future when, when we have the opportunity. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've talked a lot about this, but we also got to talk about Rodan. Yeah. And, you know, have you noticed any, any influence from this movie in your work? And, like, what are your just kind of general impressions of the film before we move on into our awards? I mean, I I have always loved this movie. I, I think this movie kicks ass. It's just one of it's one of my favorite flicks, as I said before. But uh, if there's one aspect of it that's really influenced me, I guess it's it's one of my favorite aspects of the movie, and it's that um, it, uh, it, the structure of the plot is very interesting. How it starts out with this really tight kind of suspense thriller narrative mm -hmm. with some guys going missing in a mine. And from that point, all the way to the destruction of Fukuoka, it's like this through line where it just keeps escalating. Every scene is an escalation. The stakes are raised. The tension is raised. And it's this natural progression from 
kind of an intimate suspense thriller to a disaster spectacle. And it feels, mm-hmm. it feels natural. It's, it does. It, it, yeah. And I just love that. I love the sense of escalation in the plot. And um, I think it's expertly pulled off. Nice. Yeah. No, that's I awesome. Agree. And you know what? That actually brings us to our awards. Uh, and it brings me to my, we're going we're gonna to do uh, the coolest character award. And mine, is, it's pretty basic, but I'm going to give you my reasoning. Uh, Shigeru Kuwamura. Oh, oof. Kuwamura. <laughs> well, we'll write that one off as I, uh, I nailed it. Um, <laughs> so uh, I picked him not because of that he's interesting, but because he's one of the few characters that I've seen in the movie that has his memory, loses it, and gets it back all in the same movie. Like normally, <laughs> normally you start out and you don't have your memory, <laughs> and it's a journey to get it back. He he just has the he has the flashback sequence at the beginning, essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you just get that weird arc almost. Like they even cut it out. You said of the American version almost a little completely. bit. Yeah, they 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 trim it down a little. Bit I like in the it. American dub. I like it because it leads to a really cool reveal. But he, he's also the only man to climb out of a mountain that's collapsed. So good for him. <laughs> he is an action <laughs> yeah. hero. He really he is. is. Yeah, he totally is. Um, my coolest character goes to a character that I just find charming in his very small role. And that is Mr. Sunagawa, the seismologist. Um, so it's a little bit different in the Japanese sub versus the, the American dub in the Japanese sub. I particularly like it. And it's once he hears about the plan to essentially cause a volcanic eruption, he's immediately against it. Um, but it's not just because of the civilians In the American dub, he's worried about the women and children. But in the Japanese sub, in, in the original language, he says, that's not the only problem, he says. What about the forest and the fields? And there's a real innocence and idealism to that delivery that I just found enchanting um, and in real contrast to the military uniforms he argues against. Ultimately, he stands down because he realizes the situation. But I really liked his idealism to, to protect the forest and the fields. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? Oh okay. yeah, well, the, I mean, you guys, you guys picked like, uh, you know, r- real, uh, real good at answers for this one. Um, but I'm going to go with something kind of weird, and it's going to be a whole tangent. So I hope that's okay. Oh yeah, my, we're, we're my, all about weird here. In the right. <laughs> my favorite character is listed in the credits as man in a straw hat, and I'm going to tell you why that is because he's played by a guy named Hideo Unagami. And now Hideo Unagami was uh, kind of a bit part character actor who would appear in these random scenes in the classic Toho movies. Um, uh, but he was also, in addition to being an actor, he was a writer. And now Rodan was produced in 1956, which is one year after Godzilla Raids Again. And it was kind of made instead of a third Godzilla movie. But uh, Toho was considering to a point uh, to make a third Godzilla to the point that they had a script and that script was written by one Hideo Unigami and it was called Bride of Godzilla. Now there's a lot of really strange stuff in that script, but I was like it. (laughs) Yeah. But there's uh, an element of it is that miners in Kyushu find a cave that has giant bugs and some other stuff in it, including a giant prehistoric bird in Archaeopteryx. Hmm. And that's basically the first act of Rodan, isn't it? You Mm -hmm. know, so it's pretty clear that Toho took this concept that Unigami had come up with and, uh, you know, morphed it into this other more streamlined movie, which is, you know, probably honestly better than, than what Bride of Godzilla would have ended up being. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but, but what's weird is that Unigami is not actually credited for, uh, you know, coming up with any part of the story. Uh, it, is, I think they had already paid him for his Bride of Godzilla script and, and that was that. Uh, but he's in the movie. And that's what's kind of interesting to me is that he's literally in this movie in this bit part role uh, where he kind of came up with the, the idea that it was tangentially based on. Um, now, he was he was actually properly credited for a, a subsequent Toho movie called The H-Man. He wrote the story for that. Um, but um, I don't know. I think we should appreciate the straw hat guy because it's basically his it, because of him that this movie even exists. I like that. I do. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do me a favor, Raphael. And, uh, you know, when this episode's released, take a screenshot of that guy and, and post that on Twitter because 
I'm trying to picture him and I can't, but okay. I think lots of our audience would like to see him. I'll retweet sure. it. Um, okay, because I, I would like, I would like to see him. That's great. What about your uh, most memorable line award? Okay. I'm going to go with Kiyo-chan because you hear that <laughs> over and over and over from Shigeru. Yeah. Anytime he talks to his, uh, his fiance, he says that. And that's interesting to me because um, in the dub, even he says that, mm-hmm. and it's specifically a Japanese language thing. It's Chan is a uh, honorific, um, you know, suffix that you put at the end of somebody's name. If you like them or if they're younger than you, it's like a pet name basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that it's in there in the dub is interesting. I'm going to go off on another kind of tangent, but it's, uh, it, 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 it's of its time because they do the whole accent thing and they re-edited the movie and you know but mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's well acted the voice acting is very good and it's uh, it, and the voice cast itself is interesting now um, Shigeru was played by a guy named uh, um, Key Luke and he was a very prolific Chinese American actor who was in like he was in things from like the thirties through the nineties. He was in the Kung Fu TV series and the gremlins movies. He was the old, the old man in the gremlins movies who wow. gives, who sells them uh, gizmo. Nice. Yeah. And, and so he's very like prolific in pop culture. Um, and uh, another thing is George Takei voices a bunch of characters. So that's fun. If you hear George wow. Takei's voice coming out of these random people. <laughs> that's awesome. Sulu himself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, didn't he do a voice in another movie too? Yeah, he uh, was in Godzilla Raids again. That's what it was. Okay, nice. that nice. was his first. Well, that was his first gig too. I think. Yeah, it was. It was his okay. first acting gig. Very awesome. cool. Cool. Eric, what about you? Uh, mine uh, is in the Japanese version only, and it's the chief engineer when he comes into uh, the room that Kawamura is working in at the beginning, and he, he says this line: "You mean the theory of global warming?" <laughs> and it's just interesting with our perspective today to think that Honda is is talking about global warming in 1956. Um, I think I think it's really telling, and and they kind of laugh it off then, which is kind of a shame <laughs> because you see, like people are still trying to laugh it off today, uh, and yeah, it's just a telling line, I think. So I'll leave it at that. But what about you, Alex? Uh, mine was one of the more uh, grisly lines. It was Officer Toshiro's head was left dangling by a scrap of skin. Nice. I was like, I was like, that's some good. Like, that's really descriptive writing. It's horrific, and uh, I just, I, it's kind of stuck with me. I'm like, that was like a really good line without showing us how bad it was. Yeah, yeah. And this movie nice. doesn't shy away from the from blood, really, compared to a lot of other Toho movies, at no. least that we've seen for this show. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. What about your can't believe that acting award, Alex? Mine had to be. Mine had to be. Uh, I believe his name was Sutuyan. Sutu, uh, uh getting dragged underwater dramatically. He's the first guy to get yeah. dragged under, and his acting is the equivalent of like me getting behind this couch and doing like the I'm walking downstairs thing, and he's just doing it in the water, and it's just it's so hilariously bad, but it's totally okay. But it's just. <laughs> It's very humorous until, you know, you start finding out everybody's dying. Yeah, until you realize he's dead. And then you feel yeah. bad for laughing out. And then you're like, eh, it's still kind of funny. But. <laughs> what about you, Raphael? Uh, well, mine's the opposite end of the spectrum. This is actually, like, good acting. Um, I, I think Kenji Sahara did an incredible job portraying someone with uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I've heard that he actually studied people who experienced trauma and had, uh, you, you know, and, and had mental difficulties because of it. And it shows, it shows how convincing he was able to make it. And you can see it like in his eyes, you can tell he's been through some shit, you know, in in those scenes where he's trying to regain his memory, it's very realistic. And uh, I just think he did a fantastic job with that. No, I I agree. Normally I'd point out another acting performance or an acting moment, but I've got to go with Kenji Sahara as well. Um, Specifically the moments where he's comforting Kiyo uh, after she believes like her brother well, two different moments, you know, her brother is a killer and then her brother has been killed. Uh, there's just so much that, that Kenji Sahara is working with here um, because and it's just such a dynamic performance. I think to me, it's the best performance that I've seen him 
uh, play. And, you know, that includes Ultraman series and all the Godzilla films. I think this is my favorite performance of his. He has multiple roles to play. You know, he's an engineer. He's a comforter. He's an action hero. He's a trauma survivor. And he plays each one without going over the top. I think it'd be really easy to kind of over-dramatize each of those aspects of this character, but he never does that. You know, he keeps it um, nuanced enough to, to keep me believing in his performance. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. What about your standout effect award, Raphael? Well, you can really take your pick from the destruction of Fukuoka sequence, mm-hmm. but um, I'm going to go with uh, the roof tiles flying off of the roof and you see the nice. individual tiles flying up and that level of detail in the construction of the miniature is just astounding because mm-hmm. it looks it, it looks like a real building doesn't it you know li- yeah. like it looks like if you didn't see it fly apart or see a monster next to it you could look at it and go okay that's just a, a photo of, a, of an actual you know a full-scale construction um but yeah. it's not and that's that's amazing to me and that's I, I, I don't know. I think um, it, it's one. It's such a credit to Subaraya, but um, also whoever was building the miniatures under his direction uh, deserves a lot of credit. And I don't know if we would really see that level of detail um, in close-up like that again until uh, you know the miniatures that Hiroshi Sage built for the '90s Gamera movies, which have that same kind of effect of oh, that that looks like a real building. Oh wait, there's a monster. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me, yeah. Uh, me and I mentioned that to Eric earlier is that I, I, the detail in these is better than anything else in the show era that we saw. I couldn't believe how excellent these were. And I, then I started feeling a little gypped <laughs> that we didn't get this in the, in the later uh, show era Godzilla films. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it really is. It really is a spectacle. Um, so, Mine's a small detail one, a uh, small detail effect, um, but it's the way that Mega Nulon, the Mega Nulon move. <laughs> On two occasions, <laughs> we get to see them kind of scurry away in a shot from behind. And you can just see kind of their individual scales on their back move up and down and around. And it's just really well made and realis- realistic looking. Uh, and I was impressed, but I didn't know uh, that we would have more monsters in this film besides Rodan. So seeing the mega new line and having that terror at the beginning definitely surprised me. And I was impressed by the way they looked and specifically that little detail of the way that they moved uh, and the way the back looked when they moved. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Did you like the effect of them rolling down the hill? <laughs> <laughs> falling down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> yes, falling down the hill. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, what about you, Alex? Uh, you know, standout effect. This is the one, I mean, the destruction of the city is probably the best by mm-hmm. far, but the one I keep thinking about is how adorable baby Rodan is. <laughs> <laughs> it is just the cutest thing to give somebody PTSD. <laughs> right. <laughs> but imagine if you saw that full scale in real life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, you, well, you've got all these little ones, these little, yeah. the, the mega new laws that you're terrified right. of. And then you just see this, this <laughs> giant just, pick them up and chew them and just spit them out. And you're like, I can see why the PTSD, but it, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he totally is. <laughs> uh, what about your, oh, that's a good shot award, Alex? Uh, this is like this really excellent transition from when Rod- we're still getting building that mystery of Rodan and he takes out that first plane. Mm-hmm. And we cut to that, the table with that white helmet with the blood just splattered all over it. And it just it tells a complete like horrific story in that mm-hmm. one moment. And I just love that image of that that helmet sitting there with a group of people around it. Yeah, it's just excellent. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I thought about going with the first real shot of the movie, and that's the almost three hundred sixty degree establishing shot of the Kitamatsu Village. And, and most of the film went by, and I thought honestly that was going to be my choice. But instead, I'm going to go with the end of the Fukuoka destruction sequence. When we get those neon light sign, that neon light sign, it's in the foreground. And then you get the burning city in the background. And those those flashing neon lights, they are the Ozymandias moment of this film, right? <laughs> Where you're just it, just, it just shouts folly of man or avarice of man. And, and I love that shot. It was a great, great shot. What about you, Raphael? Uh, mine is more of a sequence of shots, but it's, I'm going to go with the, uh, the ending, 
-hmm. you know, because um, here's the thing. When you see the Rodans burning up in the volcano at no previous point in the movie, have they been presented as sympathetic? Like you're really supposed to be afraid of them, right? It's not like King Kong where he's exploited and you're supposed to feel sorry for him. Right. Um, like the Rodans are legitimately destroying civilization and you're rooting for the protagonists to survive. And basically the only way that they can survive is by defeating them. But when you see them defeated, when you see them in the volcano, you feel bad because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're just, it's, it's Ifukube's music, obviously. That's a big part of it because, you know, Ifukube was the master of creating tone with his, with his music. Right. But, um, but you're just, you're seeing them in this kind of pathetic light. You know, you're, you see the fire engulfing them. And there's that one shot where one of the Rodans kind of flips up in the air and uh, falls back down. That was actually an accident. <laughs> that was that was something that happened on set and Subaraya was just like great you know we'll use that cuz because it adds to the tragedy of it mm-hmm, you know right. they're trying to escape they're trying to survive and um and the the volcanoes engulfing them and it's just such a great uh sequence that makes you feel for a monster who you previously haven't had any reason to hmm. um yeah no, now I, I really was, I was, yeah that's an excellent point. I, you know, I felt the emotion, but I didn't the ability to capture an emotion like that without the, like you said, prefacing it with anything else, no other buildup elsewhere is very excellent. And the fact that you see the second one come down to try to like help the, the other one, good stuff. It, it's good pity. Stuff. It's, it's pity, isn't it? Like, we're feeling pity in that moment almost because it is a form of life that's being destroyed and you see it in a vulnerable moment. I don't know. I I like the way that you described it, Raphael. That was, that was well done. No, that's yeah. That's really it. Cool. Um, Well, let's go ahead and move into our rating and ranking then. Um, So uh, we normally rate our movies Pretty pretty loosely, we don't take our ratings and rankings too seriously, Raphael. Sure. But if you are so inclined, what would you give this movie out of five? And where does it fall for you kind of in Toho films in general? I mean, I, I'd give it a full score. I'd give it a five out of five just because I think it's a, a fantastic movie that accomplishes everything that it sets out to do. It's very exciting and entertaining and emotionally engaging. And... Um, you know, it's a movie that just kind of barrels forward. It like, you know, like I said about the pacing of it, it has this constant escalation. It just throws you through the story in a way that feels natural and engaging. And it's, it's just a great flick. I think it's one of the better of Honda's Kaiju movies. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to do rankings because I kind of, I feel like every movie should be judged on its own terms. But I, yeah. if I, if I were to do that, I'd put it in the top tier. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And right, I think, cool yeah, I think this is a top tier uh, giant monster movie as well. And my, my favorite part of Rodan is actually the mystery and the human drama that unfolds in the first act. There's just a strong concept at the heart of this movie and the lead Kinji Sahara gives what I think is his best performance. I just think that the prospect of explorer exploring the, this horror that's in, unfolding in this small mining village uh, is awesome. I, I wish it might have stayed a little bit more localized around that one village, but I do like the way that it escalates throughout the film. My only other real complaint is is the pacing in those final moments. Um, it, it has some amazing tokusatsu brilliance, and those miniatures are some of the best that we've seen, but those rocket blasts on the volcano maybe go on just a tad too much, but that honestly does not deter much from my overall enjoyment of this film, and I do think that this epitomizes the giant monster genre and what I've come to really love about it. And then finally, those complex feelings that we just talked about in the film's final shots, I think they add uh, just a little bit extra for me, maybe an extra half star to this review. So I'm a little bit tougher than you, Raphael, but I give this film a four out of five and I do think it's top tier giant monster movie. Mm, yeah, I, I'm pretty much right there with both of you all. This is an excellent movie. 
I love what they decided to do with the monsters at the end. That that poignant moment that caps off a what was a started out as a horror movie mm-hmm. and then went to a, a total disaster movie. I love it. I love the mystery that they did at the beginning with the mega nulons and all of that. It's it's all done so well. I mean, I would say eleven probably like eleven twelfths out of this movie is pretty. It's almost perfect in execution. I have the same complaint as Eric with the missiles firing into the volcano. It goes on for way too long. But, again, it's a minor complaint for an overall excellent movie with a really fun monster. Anything that can go fast and destroy things, I am all on board. (laughs) And it's also why Rodan's my favorite part of King of the Monsters is because it's just so much fun. But for me, I'm trying – I'm really teetering on a nine – out of 10 which is a 4.5 out of 5 out uh, i always <laughs> you can't it, we're starting a new series and you still can't get the numbers right it's all right though oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah so it's a uh, i'm teetering on a 4.5 i'm going to give it a tentative 4 out of 5 i really want to think on this one some more uh but yeah i really like this one and nice. it's it, this is top tier show air of what we've seen so far which is all of godzilla I like it. I like it, Alex. And so next week we have Varen, um, which which I'm excited about. Um, I've never seen it before. Alex, have you seen Varen? Nope, I have not. I'm excited to give it a shot. I, I hear there's oh, two wow. versions. Is that correct? Is there yeah, two? There, there are. Yeah, there are two versions, and they're completely different. Like it's nice. not just a, like the U.S. version and Japanese version of Rodan are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. U.S. and Japanese versions of Varen are completely different. Like. Okay, they're totally different movies. That gives me one to watch tonight and (laughs) one to watch before our episode, Alex. (laughs) I'll have to watch both of them now. Oh boy, I hope we like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The good thing about these early, you know, Toho staples, monster staples, is that they're they're relatively short. So even if we don't like it, it's not going to take too much of our time. Yeah, Varen, not to start talking about Varen because that's a different episode, but it was originally planned as a, uh, a TV movie. Mm. And then oh. they just decided to make it theatrical and beefed it out to a full-length film. So I guess you guys can be the judge of it so when you watch it. Yeah, we, we, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Alex, did you come up with a rhyme for Varen or nah? Well, I, I've come up with some time for you to go ahead and do yours <laughs> because uh, mine's ready to go. Oh, yours is ready to go. It's ready to go, but I just want to hear yours. All right. Make sure we don't copy each other at all. Okay, all right, all right. Here's mine. Here's what we got. Nobody seems to be caring when it comes to the monster Varen. Will we feel the same? And if so, what's to blame? Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, All the things I've heard about Varen aren't very nice. I hope this movie doesn't give me ice because I'm going to have to watch it twice. Instead of ice, Alex, you should have said spice. I hope this movie brings some spice because I'm yeah, going to have to watch it twice. There we yeah, go. There you go. I had to do it. You had to build off of me. <laughs> I, I, I'm the Zune. I'm the Zune and you're the Apple iPod. There we go. I don't know what you're talking about now, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, Raphael, uh, where can people find you online? Um, and you have anything else that you want to plug for us as we wrap up here? Well, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, whatever is Raphaelipagus. Um, I don't know if you'll have a link to that in the show notes or whatever. Yeah, but, I'll, I'll uh, put it in the show notes. Okay. And uh, you know what? If you just Google my name, uh, my books will come up because I have a weird name and that's kind of the only result. But um, but yeah, my current release is really the Japan book, How to Have an Adventure in Northern Japan. And I just hope, you know, I hope people who like the type of stuff that we talk about on this podcast uh, are interested in it because it all it's all coming from the same place of, of being into um, this genre. And, uh, you know, I think people who are interested in um, the region will will get a kick out of it. Nice. I'm very excited. I'm going to pick it up. Yeah. You should, def- you should definitely pick up uh, Daikaiju Yuki as well if you haven't checked out Raphael's novels because I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And you can, you can come nerd out 
uh, with me and we can talk about it if you want to send me a message on Twitter, <laughs> which leads awesome. us to our closing. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Raphael, for, for being on. This is this is really fun. And yeah. you are uh, clearly a natural on podcasting. So we'll have to have you back. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah I'd love is, to be back. This is awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. Seriously, send me a message about Raphael's book. We'll talk about it. <laughs> you can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, Eric Neely. You can email us, mvmpod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at mvmpod.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Your review really helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basir and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try to stay alive. It's a little bit easier when I can see you. (laughs) See you, everyone. Yeah, see you guys. Yeah, this is awesome, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, like in cooking, this will probably be considered the Toho salt and pepper.